Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Yes, I, I've seen some f bombs now on your twi- Twitter. Every now from and then, Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because the there is an understanding that the Patriots are just such an infuriating group of people. Yeah, that even professional journalists can tweet swear words in relation to the Patriots and get away with it. Whereas, like in any other context, if I'm tweeting swear words, I'm going to get a finger wagged at me. Yes, by, you know the bosses, but like. There's an understanding. There's an understanding. Is it because the they've nature. been so good for so long? It's because they've been so obnoxious it? for so long. Okay. It's, it's not just success. It's the way they've achieved it. Mm-hmm. And the way they've been so self-righteous about being successful, but at the same time, uh, bending all these rules. So we All we hear about is the Patriot way. Yeah. The Patriot way. But they bend all these rules. And the Patriot way, um, you know, is supposed to imply to, you know, these guys do it the right way. Um they're better at this thing than the rest of us, but at the same time, they had they would they would sign a lot of really reprehensible human beings. Like wife beating Corey Dillon was on that team mm-hmm. back in the day. Was in that fran- was on that franchise. Deadbeat Dom, deadbeat dad Tom Brady. We forget this about Tom Brady. I didn't know right? that. Remember he had the um, he was dating the actress and she was pregnant, and then he dumped her for for Giselle. Giselle. And we don't see what Tom hmm. Tom Brady's relationship is with. You know the the child he had with the first mm. significant other, whom yeah. he dumped yeah. while she was pregnant. Like we usually, for people that do that to women, mm-hmm. uh, have nothing but scorn for them. But Tom Brady somehow dodges that. Yeah. So it's all of these things. Who dodges that from a certain segment of the population, and the rest of us hate that the rest that everyone else everyone doesn't else. hold these guys accountable for that. Yeah. So that's what makes the Patriots so annoying and obnoxious <laughs> and every time they lose it's so delicious that's what happens. we we believe again yes exactly it was interesting my, my we, we we don't watch football at home that's fine <clears throat> but we watched we watched the super bowl because i cooked for the first time in my life i made okay. chili and it, everyone liked it so that, that was good and my son stayed up and watched it and he, he has this thing that if he cheers for a team, he, he, they always end up losing. <laughs> so he started cheering. He wanted the he wanted the Eagles to win, but he started cheering for the Patriots. Like, why are you them- cheering for the Patriots? Because you're gonna lose if I cheer for them. <laughs> Good. Good man. And your son is clearly the the force that turned the tide. There you go. The yes. Well, he, he told everyone at school. I'm sure. Good, good. good I'm good. sure that he did. Um, I I tweeted and no, I didn't tweet it. I I put on Facebook a, a few months ago. After. So Jagmeet Singh was a guest on, on this pro on this show yes. here, um, and then he went on to become leader of the uh, federal NDP party. So is that where I'm headed next? Leader leadership of a well, federal well, party. Well, so here's the thing. So so then I went on Facebook. Yes. And I said, good things happen to those who come on this. Right. Um, with the idea that people would ask, oh, what happened to, you know, certain guests that came on? Mm-hmm. What you know, but people started coming on, going, oh, can I be a guest? Can I be a guest? <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to say. Um, since you've been on, you recently got married, or last summer. Yeah, June 9th was the day. Yeah, yes. to uh, Perdita Felicien. That is true. Yeah, so congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. You guys are like a super sports couple now. Something like that. <laughs> super, super sports media couple. Super sports yeah, media couple. She's retired and I'm old. So <laughs> can't really say sports in the present sense. Well, con- but, you know. congratulations to the both of you. Appreciate that. Appreciate um, I wanted to... I wanted to get you on here. Actually, I wanted you here last year around this time. 
Um, and I think it was Valentine's Day on, on the Tuesday. Yeah, and I was like, there's no way that can exactly. on, man. That can't happen. And I remember you telling me that... Because uh, if I had done this podcast last year, Valentine's Day, there wouldn't have been a June 9th winner. Exactly, exactly. exactly. Um, but one of the re- main reasons... And I, let me say this first off. Um, you, you've been on twice. And the reason I had you on a second time and would love to have you on as many times as, as, as time... Uh, permits for you to be here but you got famous people trying to get on this podcast so (laughs) it takes you a year or so to get back to 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 get back to you right you're very well spoken um you're very well thought um and and i I just love the way i love your writing um and and i really enjoy the way you articulate yourself so the people send that note to my boss i will every time someone (laughs) says something nice to me i say you know what Tell my bosses because sometimes they need reminders. I'll, t- I'll, right? t- I'll tag the Toronto Star. Yes. Uh, but another reason I wanted you on specifically is because you know this is Black History Month, right? February. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, about this um, and get your thoughts on um, a lot of things that we'll talk about today in in through the lens of Black History Month. Okay. Uh, but also just in general, um, and you know, for myself, and something that I'll tell my son when I get home. In your words, why is Black History Month important in my words why is black history month important um it's important it's funny i think it's more important for other people than it is for me personally all right because i'm not a person who grew up and like flipped a switch every february 1st and said now i'm gonna care about black history like my parents made sure that 12 months a year, this was something we were, were plugged into. Yeah, yeah. Right? So that like, it got to the point where um, in high school, we had a black history class. <laughs> I took the class. All the, the, black whole year, the whole year was about black it history? Was, uh, it was a class. So it was like one semester okay. per year. Oh, okay. Like my grade 11 year. And uh, by the time we took the class, I was like the, the, I was like the TA. Like, I'm coming in talking to the teacher saying, okay, well, what do we want to concentrate on this week, Mr. Davis? Hey, I can bring in some videos. Yeah. Like, you know, but this is the household I grew okay. up in, right? All right. You know, my parents wanted to make sure that, that, because that, my parents, as African Americans living in Canada, mm-hmm. you know, kind of separated from a larger African American community here, yeah. um, really made sure that we were connected to our extended family in the U.S. and had a sense of our own history. Mm-hmm. As African Americans, but as Campbells and Joneses and Bonners and Gaddises specifically, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I get people coming up to me like giving me the uh, "Black people don't know their history" lecture. You don't know what your ancestors were doing lecture, and I'm like, "Hey, save that for someone else." Because mm-hmm. you want to talk about my ancestors going back into slavery, we can do that. So there are people that don't, I don't know as much as I would like to know. Sure. But again, my parents, independently of each other, mm-hmm. made sure that we knew as much as possible about where we were coming from, specifically, again, as Campbells and Joneses, but also uh, as African Americans in North America. Yeah. Um, but for other people, like there's so much of black history that either gets um, erased ignored glossed over co-opted appropriated um and otherwise blended into mainstream culture mm-hmm. uh that it's important to, to 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 take time out and say wait a minute 
um, these inventions, these people, these trends, uh, these advancements that you thought just sprung up from out of nowhere. No, they came from African-Americans. They came from African-Canadians, Caribbean-Canadians, what have you. Um, so sometimes it's just like historical, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like quirks, like, mm-hmm. the, like the phrase, the real McCoy, mm. right? That it's named after a guy named Elijah McCoy, who was from Colchester, Ontario, is a descendant of slaves who had escaped the U.S. and moved to Southwest Ontario. And he was an engineer. I can't remember exactly what the part was, but it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a part for locomotive engines. Okay. And so he invented this thing, whatever whatever the locomotive engine yeah. part was, and it worked really well. Yeah. So people tried tried to make knockoffs, and the knockoffs never re- worked really, really well. McCoy. So if you were building a train, what you wanted was the real McCoy. Ah. Right. So sometimes it's stuff like that's that. That's where the saying comes from. Well. Right. But then other times it's 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 uh it's not just history, but it's the realizing that, like, that this history is still alive. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're not talking about black achievement as if black achievers and great black people were just all a part of the past and sure. this history isn't alive because we're all still here. Yeah, yeah. Um so again, like sometimes and Sometimes different black people need a reminder of that too. Mm-hmm. But um, again, it's for me. Black History Month has always been, you know, nice to see other people get involved. But the way I grew up, the way I was raised, again, we didn't flip the calendar over to February and say, oh, "Okay, great, now it's Black History." Like, yeah, it was just something we had in our house, you know. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of things happening in. In media and culture today, you know, one of the things is is you know, the Black Panthers coming out. The movie, yes. The movie next next week, the week after, some, yes. sometime one of these weekends. Um, and a lot there's been a lot of talk about, and I know movies is not your thing or entertainment mm. is not your thing, um, or comics either. But you know. or com, yeah. Um, you know, but a lot of people have been talking about this movie from the black perspective or from the African perspective, uh, and talking about you know here's a. Uh, a hero or a superhero mm-hmm. that you know black kids can now sort of look up to or or see themselves now you know in movies or see themselves yes. as a superhero yeah and when i think about superheroes like that wasn't something we grew up with right the mm. superheroes to the extent that we watched them on tv on cartoons yeah. they were white guys yeah right? superman was a white guy Aquaman was a white guy. Flash was the fastest guy out there. He was still a white guy. He certainly didn't have black women in those roles, right? And the closest thing we had to it was certain characters, certain non-human superhero characters that you could pretty much infer were based on black people. Mm. So uh, uh, Jazz on Transformers, the, the red... The, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Car. yeah, yeah, yeah. On the cartoon, he was a black guy. Okay. Uh, Panthro on Thundercats was a black guy. Man, that's that's way back. <laughs> right. And then by the time I was a teenager, there was the X-Men, like the cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Storm? Yes, yes. Is it? I think it's Storm. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. She was a black woman. Yeah, yeah. But other than that, yeah, those characters were really, really, really yeah. scarce. And again, all the... The best we could do was kind of guess at which non-human ones mm-hmm. were based on black humans. Yeah. But um, this right here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's it's. I'm I'm not gonna say that having a black superhero character means like racism is over, but 
in that space, yeah, this is a big step. Yeah. Um, you were at a pitch talks. You spoke at a pitch talks event. Was it last week or the week before? Last week. Last week. Um, and I know there's one February. F- there's yeah, another there's one this February week. February first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Bob Kendrick. Yes, from the Negro League Museum. Yeah, he was there. Um, and he was actually he's he was in town for like the whole week or something. Yeah, they had him hustling, man. Yeah. Because they had two events while he was here. And okay. so they had him hustling to like all these different radio stations to yeah. give up publicity for these two events to get oh. uh, paying customers to show up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah. yeah. How was the event? I had to leave, like, so I presented with Bob in the ha- in the first half. Okay, and okay. And I, I wanted to stay to hear Shai Davidi talk to um, Ross Atkins, but I just yeah. had I had a long Friday coming up, so I had to get out of there. Yeah. But Bob and I, like, Bob and I have a very easy rapport. Yeah. Right? You've met him before? Or? Yeah, I've okay. met him in person. We yeah. presented him together. I've interviewed him about different stuff. And so we get along really well, and we, uh, we play off each other really well. And again, okay. like, for me... In a situation like that, like I'm not the show, sure. I'm just there to to, to set him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what I do. I set him up to 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 tell these incredible stories. Yeah. And we go back and forth though about who these Negro League players are and and, and what relevance they have today. Yeah. Um, in the state of black baseball today, so we talk about all these things. But again, like I'm I'm the frame. He's the picture. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. So 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 let's talk about that for for a little bit. You know, what is the, you know, so there's this, is it a museum or a Hall of Fame, Negro League Baseball Hall it's of both, Fame? both, yeah. Yes, both. Okay. Um, you, you, why, why is that important today and what's the relevance today of that? One is that it celebrates um, an institution, a time, a way of life that are gone, mm. you know, but the artifacts remain. Um, and it really fills in the blanks and the detail and the richness of these leagues that existed before Major League Baseball was integrated. Um, And it gives you an understanding of how great some of these players were who were never allowed to play in the majors Hmm. because they were black. Yeah. Um, Because that's a difficult thing to understand because when you think about Old Major League Baseball history, pre-1947, yeah, you have your heroes. You have Ted Williams, DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Ty Cobb, all these guys. But they never had to play against black players. Mm. Um, so we talk about players from the steroid era who's, who's and, and the argument that their career marks should all have asterisks because they were taking steroids. Mm. And my counter-argument is always that, well, steroids were not explicitly banned by Major League Baseball at that point, so they could take whatever they want. They weren't breaking the rules. Yeah, yeah. And if you wanted them not to take steroids, they should have had a rule against steroids. They didn't have a rule against steroids. Don't retroactively punish them yeah. based on today's rules. Sure. Um, but at the same time, you don't have that Ty Cobb stats, um, Beirut stats, Hack Wilson stats aren't subjected to that same scrutiny, even though these guys played during segregated uh during segregated times, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it, so you're forced only to, to to wonder and to dream about and to speculate about, well, what would have happened if Ted Williams had faced Satchel Page twenty times a season? Would he hit? Would, would he have hit four hundred the way mm. he did? If a bunch of those at bats had come against Satchel yeah. Page, stuff like that. Um, it also gives you a sense of. Um, 
how titanic the struggle was to integrate major league baseball and how many different stakeholders were involved because it wasn't just players it wasn't just major league teams it was the black press um in the communist press hmm. all these different media entities pressuring major league baseball and pressuring specific teams uh to hire black players and the other thing you also have to understand about the first generation of black major leaguers, the the Willie Mays's and the Hank Aaron's of the world and the Monty Irvin's of the world, all these guys got started playing professional baseball with Negro League teams, and that's often forgotten. And you know, you it's don't not included in their in their stats, is it? No. Yeah. But if like if you read their biographies, you learn it because all these, sure. a lot of these guys came from the South. Most of these guys came from the South, and so like Frank Robinson is probably the first major league player among the first major league players, black major league players that didn't come up through the Negro League system at all. Um, and these are some of the things you start to get a sense of when you go to this museum. Also, the, 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 the downside of the integration of Major League Baseball is that you lose this institution because black baseball was an institution. Mm. And you really start to lose this institution because these Major League teams just come in and start signing all these Negro League players and, 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 and raiding Negro League rosters. So within a generation... Um, Negro League baseball is really diminished because all the best back black players are not playing in the Negro Leagues anymore. They're playing in the majors. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the unfortunate aspects of the, of, the in, of the integration of Major League Baseball is the disintegration of the, the Negro Leagues. So it becomes you have to wait another whole generation or two before you start seeing black managers again. Mm. Because the black guys who used to manage these teams, yeah. um, they're, all, they're out of work. And no one's trying to hire these black, either black coaches or former black players as managers until you get deep into the 1970s. You haven't seen black owners since then. No. Um, you know, and these are some of the things that are lost, but this is what the museum exists to preserve. Mm-hmm. In, in one of the articles that I read after the event, uh, I think it was in the Toronto Star, um, there, were, there was a fact that there's only 60, I think the exact number was 62. Yeah. 62 African-American yep. players in, in Major League ba- Baseball. Um, and then what was, so when I first saw that, I, I you know, I read African-American as black, um, just in my brain. And mm-hmm. I said, no, there's, there's all these other black players. Absolutely. But they're from Puerto Rico, from the Dominican, yep. from the Caribbean. Um, and, there's, and there's, you know, I haven't taken a look at the numbers, but it seems like there is a lot of them playing. So what's, what's the concern or the difference between um, African-Americans playing baseball and Caribbeans playing baseball. The the difference or the concern? I, I guess both, right? Because yeah, I guess both. Well, as if you're if you're African American and and your interest is in seeing African Americans play and prosper in the major mm. leagues. Okay, sure. One way or the other. Okay, you're seeing guys that look like you, but they're still not coming from where you came from. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm gonna do. It, I'm gonna look at it the other way. Okay. Yeah. Um. And maybe we should look at the difference between the culture here, the baseball culture here in North America versus the baseball culture in Venezuela and Cuba and Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, why does that set of countries facilitate baseball opportunities for black people, for poor people, and the United States doesn't? Because when, when you talk okay. about all right, when you when you talk about the decline in, in the number and the proportion of African American baseball players, um, you know, a lot of factors. A lot of factors try to explain it. 
you know, and the one thing people always try to tell me is that, well, it's because baseball moves slow. Baseball's not as exciting as basketball or football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the implication being, and the baseball's not cool. It's not cool like basketball and football. And those arguments are based on really insulting premises. One that black Americans have short attention spans or shorter attention spans than than other types of people. Or two, that black mm. people, because we in North America associate what's black with what's cool and what's cool with black people, because mm. black Americans so often are the tastemakers, trendsetters, people that come up with new slang. yeah. All y'all that use slang that you got from social media, next time you say it's lit, thank a black American. You say on fleet, <laughs> thank a black American. That's so true. Right? Yeah. Coaches be like, all these coaches be like memes. Mondays be like, right? Yeah. Thank a black American. <laughs> black Americans <laughs> on social media. And that's what social media has done, right? It's just sped up the pace at which so the mainstream true. can appropriate African-American English. Mm. Um, but the flip side of that is that now, white people are going to tell us that black people are going to refuse to do anything that's not considered cool. So this is why black people don't play baseball. Think about think about the idea of baseball, short attention spans and baseball not being cool. This is a point I make all the time, and this is part of one of the things that, that black people have to put up with when you, when you talk about how the mainstream media talks about us, is being judged harshly, mm-hmm. black people being judged harshly, for doing things or for making decisions um, that anyone would make. So when you talk about baseball being boring, it's boring to an entire generation of young people, black and white. Sure. Um, you talk about baseball being not cool, it's less cool than basketball or soccer or football to an entire generation of Americans, black and white. Mm-hmm. When you look at the proportion of U.S.-born white baseball players, it's also dropping. Right? Okay. No one ever talks about that. Mm-hmm. Black people are singled out as if black people are dysfunctional or uh, that's the word I'm looking for. It escapes me. But as, yeah. as if there's something wrong with black people that makes them okay. unable to tolerate baseball anymore yeah. uh, or makes them think they're, they're not too good cool enough. They're baseball. not interested in any, anymore. Right. Yeah. So then the other one is economics. Because um, I went back and forth with these guys a year and a half ago who wrote this study saying it was, it's the decline in, in black marriage rates that is fueling this drop I remember. Yes. In, in black baseball participation. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, white marriage rates have declined at the same rate. Yeah. White American participation in Major League Baseball has also declined at the same rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to look at the variables and the constants here. Right, the declines are constant. The decline in marriage rate is a constant. The decline in um, participation in, in in baseball and major league baseball is a constant. Uh, what's changed is the cost of playing baseball in the United States. Um, and you have all these private operators now getting in between in between your kid and baseball greatness. Mm-hmm. Baseball costs a ton. They want you to play year round. They want you to join these travel teams. They want you to get a swing coach base running coach, hitting coach, fielding coach, infielding coach, outfielding coach, catching coach, all these coaches. Yeah. Right? That costs a lot of money. So that's going to constrict your talent pool. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to talk about 
so that that keeps a lot of Americans out of the game of baseball of every color, but it has a more profound effect on black Americans because when you look at the statistics, black unemployment is higher. Donald Trump is going to try to tell you that black unemployment is at an all-time low. Mm-hmm. Unemployment in general is at an all-time low. Black unemployment is still twice what white unemployment is, mm. right? Um, and these trends started long before Donald Trump even thought about sure. running for president, but I digress. Point is, <laughs> you cannot discuss the decline in black American participation in baseball without discussing how expensive the sport has become and how the cost of the sport has risen much more quickly than people's incomes do. And that has nothing to do with single parenthood. That has nothing to do with whether the game is boring. Those are different um, challenges. And again, the game being boring, the perception that the game is boring, the perception that the game isn't cool, but also the cost of the game. These are things that the game is going to have to confront for everyone, not just black people. Yeah. Um, and when you talk about baseball in contrast to, say, football, where like, private schools are like a lot of the big football factories now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, a lot of neighborhood schools still have football. It is taxpayer subsidized, essentially, because football is an extremely expensive sport. Oh, for sure. But... At the high school level, the costs don't often fall upon the parents. It's just a nominal fee, whatever it costs to rent the equipment. Mm-hmm. Insurance is included. Because if you have to buy football helmets, buy shoulder pads, it would cost you a ton. Yeah. Yet the NFL is still 70-plus percent black. So the sport itself being expensive has no bearing on whether or not black kids will play or poor kids will play or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's Is it expensive for the parents? Because if it's expensive for Who the bears parents, the cost, right? Yes, then you'll start to see the demographics of the sport change. Uh-huh. So when you think about um, how and why these, because people say, well, if baseball was so expensive, why do you have all these Dominicans, all these Venezuelans, all these Cubans? But baseball is expensive in a, in the U.S. In it's the not US. expensive down there, mm-hmm. right? And the the system now, the system that produces players in the Caribbean and in Venezuela. You can't really replicate that here because you can't have kids leaving school at 14 years yeah. old to practice baseball full time, hoping that a team signs them, right? Because that's why it's cheap. Because if cheap I'm, labor, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well, what happens in the Dominican and in Venezuela is that it's I run a baseball academy. I'm some former pro player. I get a few more pros, so we're going to run this academy, right? Mm-hmm. So we front the costs. So we get 20 kids. They said, we're going to train you full-time. It's your job, full-time. Yeah. You're going to train. You might have a tutor. You might get to go to school, but your your main job is going to be to play baseball. We'll put you up in this house. Um, we'll feed you. Mm-hmm. We'll train you. Um, you don't, you're not responsible for anything. Um, but then when one of you signs a, a contract with the major league team, mm-hmm. you got to give us 30%, 35%. Whatever it is. If yeah. you never sign, you don't owe us anything. Yeah. But when this guy signs for a million dollars, I get three hundred grand. Yeah. Right? So if I so the goal is to get a couple of these big prospects signed every sure. year and they pay for everything. Yeah. Right. But that's why you can get a lot of poor people into the system down there because it's not costing the kids or their parents anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the United States, the person training your kid for baseball wants a hundred dollars an hour or whatever. Uh, paid it is. up front, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And 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 um your friend Arturo Marcano. Yes. Have you ever had him on this podcast? I have. Yes. And he was He's amazing. Brilliant. He is. And so he talked about the flip side of that is what about those kids that don't get the million dollar contract yes. who left school at, They're just at adrift. 14? Yes. Absolutely. And what happens to them? 
and and that was a really interesting conversation I had. Yeah, it's it's weird and like North Americans, we sometimes pretend to care what happens to athletes. Mm-hmm. And notice, North Americans only care what happens to athletes educationally. When those athletes play a sport uh, where there's money to be made for other people at the college level, mm. you don't ever hear North Americans worry what happens to like the high school baseball player who gets drafted but washes out of baseball um, in Double A. Yeah, no one cares. Or they don't ask about oh, what happened to all these kids from mm-hmm. the Dominican who never made it. But if I'm a basketball player that says, "Well, I'm leaving college after one year because I can go." first in the NBA draft they say oh poor you what about your education man what about it (laughs) right I'm I'm about to make three million dollars a year (laughs) you go to college to get a good job to make money yes so I did one year of college I'm gonna get a job to make good money what do you you guys want from me right Um, but yeah so like in countries like Venezuela like the Dominican Republic if you talk to Arturo like he'll tell you how things have changed in Venezuela since their dollar has lost value, or the Bolivar has lost dollar has lost value against the U.S. dollar, and since inflation has really taken off, um, and how much more a lot of parents are like depending on their kids to hit this baseball lottery. Of course. Um, but the but the more extreme the economic situation becomes in Venezuela, like the tougher it's going to be for these kids to hit the lottery. Like just for simple, just for the simple fact of malnutrition. Like you have a lot of kids down there right now that they can't, their parents can't afford formula or can't find it because it's hard to find. Mm. Um, and so, at what stage can you get these kids into a position just to function, to learn, to grow in ways that they would have in a more stable economy? Right. Yeah. Interesting. Um, Related to that, you talked about you know players in college and stuff. When when will we see players getting paid in college? In college, yeah. I, th- I mean, it doesn't happen now, and, and people are saying it can never happen. But sooner or later, you know, these coaches make millions of dollars. Okay. Colleges are like, um, so you know, when you join like the the the, the sleazy big box gym, <laughs> yeah, and then like they get your your bank account info your credit card mm-hmm. and then they keep charging you yeah, yeah and then you you quit and they still charge you right yeah yeah so then you say to them hey i'm trying to quit yeah um and they will do anything not to give you cash yeah sure so they'll say oh why don't we just extend your membership um <laughs> do you want free protein shakes yeah what do you want yeah they'll do anything yeah, yeah before they will give you cash yeah yeah so this is what's happening in college sports huh so when you look at schools like clemson or texas like what their locker rooms are like what their facilities are like these guys have like lcd tv monitors in their lockers you have like bowling alleys and this this is an addition to the stuff that's just supposed to make you better at sports sure and then all these extra computer labs uh lounges with video games pool tables it's like a little it's like a cruise ship mm-hmm. um and half the stuff that has nothing to do with um making you better at your sport you don't need a pool table sure Especially if your sports facilities are like off campus or separated from the rest of campus. Yeah. Right. Like, I thought you wanted these guys to excel at school. I thought, why don't you want them to integrate and mingle with the rest of the student body? No, no, no. Stay up here. Stay isolated from the rest of your, from from other students. Stay in our high tech computer lab. Play pool on our pool tables. Slide on our slide. Um, <laughs> don't even leave your locker to watch TV because we got an LCD screen right in your locker. All this stuff. Yeah. All this stuff costs 
a fortune. Yeah. So that when it comes time to say, well, why don't we pay the players? The school says, sorry, we can't pay the players. We don't have any money left. Huh. They could have the money left. And, and a lot of the players, too. Mm-hmm. If, you know, unless their parents are rich, if they just come from regular backgrounds like most of us do, um, and they have this skill that clearly is worth money to the university because the university is doing everything they can to license your image, uh, to sell rights to this content, to sell mm-hmm. tickets, sure, uh, to sell luxury boxes, whatever. Um, so the skills you, as an individual, possess and as a group, it clearly is worth money to the university. So it should be worth money. And for a lot of players, I'm sure if you ask them, hey, would you be happy with your scholarship? Great training facilities, but like instead of a pool table and an LCD screen in your locker um, and a third computer lab, would you be happy trading all that for a stipend, thousand bucks a month, whatever it is? These guys would say, "Give me the money." Sure. Um, but the NCAA and its member schools, especially ones that make good money on sports, they will they will give you anything. Anything but cash. But cash. They'll give you iPads, big box chips, whatever it is. <laughs> yes, they, they don't. They're yes, they're they're like Premier Fitness. They the one thing they don't want to do is give you money. Um, so Sunday was the Super Bowl. Yes. Um, everyone uh, was was watching that. Um, and and it's it it was interesting the game itself and then everything around the game. Yes. To me was interesting because uh, now you know I watch things with with a different set of you know different lens. Um, and so this was the year that um, Colin Kaepernick um, did not play for anyone. Yeah, a full season. You know, a yes, full, like exactly. a full season. Like he, you know, and, you know, some people say he sat out. Other people will say, no, he was available and no one no one chose to take him on. Um, is, is this, in your mind, collusion? Have you spoken to people that you believe it to be that? Is it just everyone's just blackballing it's, him? It's not collusion, but it's collusion. Okay. So they didn't talk to anybody, but you look across the table and you do that and nod thing. They understand. Yeah. Because every team. But why? Like, you know, because if, every if, team is worried about consumer backlash and how other owners, other team owners will perceive them if you go and sign this guy. But isn't winning everything like. I know there's no guarantee. Uh, I'll repeat what I said at Pitch Talks. And this is like a working definition I use for. The difference between racism and bigotry. Okay. So if you're a racist, you're willing to hurt me because you don't like me because I'm black. Okay. If you're a bigot, you're willing to hurt yourself because you don't like me because I'm black. Huh. You'll gladly cost yourself money over your racism, right? That's weird. So this explains like a lot of Trump supporters, right? Yeah, get rid of Obamacare. Dude, you're on Obamacare. Yeah, but I don't want to be on this. It's named after a black because, person. Because it's named. That's, that's so true, right? <laughs> Jack up my premiums. I don't. Hey, I'll go out of. I'll go into debt. I'll declare bankruptcy. I'll do that right before I'll exercise a health insurance policy named after a black person. Dude, what do I look like? Dude, I'm a real American. That is um, so true. So there's a lot of that going on, and it, and it is strange the NFL. But this is part of the. As much as the NFL wants to run from this, this is a part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Was that when you are the best league in the world and one of the NFL's one of the things the NFL sells itself on is this idea that its athletes are the best. Best in yes. class. Yes. Of every type of athlete. 
best big athletes in the world, the best fast guys in the world, the best of everything. So now when you're in a position where you are willfully turning away someone who has proven that they are good enough to, to join this fraternity, mm-hmm. you're saying that something other than skill matters. You're saying that you would rather have someone who is not the best among the best, who's not proven to be among the best, than someone who is. And do that with Kaepernick, and where are you doing it next? And how many other ways are you willing to compromise on the quality of your product? Because the NFL thinks that this product will continue to sell itself regardless of the quality of the product, and that has proven that it's not. That's been proven untrue. Hmm. That's why people don't really like watching Thursday night games, because those games aren't as good, because the players aren't recovered, they're not prepared. Um, or like the games where they always send some lackluster matchup to go play in London in one of those early Sunday morning yeah. games. And again, the players aren't necessarily physically as prepared for those games as they would be for other games because they've just done all this travel. Um, you know, they're out of rhythm. Yeah. And, you know, people don't watch those games either. And so the NFL, once they get to the point, once they get to the point, like right now, Let's back up a little bit because we'll talk sure. about Jackie Robinson. Like Jackie Robinson's a guy that he came up in the same era that the NFL was being integrated. Okay. And these the guys that integrated the NFL, Woody Strode, Kenny Washington, these guys are contemporaries of Jackie Robinson's. But they also had like a much worse, like as bad as Jackie Robinson's experience was with integrating baseball and all the stuff you had to take mm-hmm. these guys had to take it playing football but the difference being that football is a physical sport where you guys are hitting each other every play so you think about the yeah. amount of violence these guys had to absorb yeah and still find ways not to fight back um so here's jackie robinson like an elite athlete in any number of sports not choosing football the nfl prides itself on getting guys who are world-class athletes to choose their sport mm-hmm. and where there's a debate or a doubt, the NFL will tell you its athletes are better. This is why every year we got to hear some NFL guys faster than Usain Bolt when it's not true. Yeah. But this is what they're selling. Oh, yeah. Right? So now when you're taking guys who you know are good enough to play in the NFL and saying, well, we're not going to sign you because we're going to sign this guy who was driving a truck last week, then you're, you're signaling to the audience uh-huh. that all these guys aren't the best. And there's something other than merit involved. And now, but you're asking them to pay the same price. Devote as much attention to, the, to, to players who, in some cases, might be second rate. Huh. But I still want your money. I still want your attention. And that's a tough, tough, tough bargain to strike. Like, if I'm at a restaurant. And this a, is a whole league we're talking about. Yeah. Like, how many teams? 30 teams? Right. Yeah, and, and, and they have these ag- aggressive plans to grow revenue. Um, and the brand equity that each of these teams has helps grow revenue, but the quality of the product on the field is where it starts and ends. And if you think you're going to double revenue, if you think you're going to go from $11 million a year of revenue in 2011 to 25, sorry, billion, to $25 billion of revenue in 2027 mm-hmm. with a diminished on-field product, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So, And if you start showing your ticket buying public and your sponsors that the players on the field might not necessarily be the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Why are they going to pay you all this money? Because they do these commercials that tell that tell everybody our players are the best. Right. <laughs> but when you when you start doing that, yeah, that's the sign of desperation. I've never seen any league do that. 
I mean, the CFL would do it. Remember the CFL had our balls, our balls are, are bigger. bigger. That was hilarious. Right? <laughs> they had, this is our game. This yeah, is Argo yeah. football. No, I did not. Well, I'll leave the Argos out of this. But yeah. Like, this is our game. Fair enough. But the CFL realizes they are a second-tier league. Yes. And There's no have, denying that, yeah, right? Yeah. So they have to stake out this ground where they're different. Yes. Um, and to get you not to think about the fact that they're not as good as the NFL and concentrate on the fact that they're just different from the NFL and very distinct. Yeah. Um, the NFL shouldn't have to remind people that they should like football, shouldn't have to remind people that they should play football, but this is the position they're in. Mm -hmm. Because football is dangerous, because viewership is declining, um, you see these, com like the, the, the commercial, the Super Bowl commercial that everyone loved with, with Eli Manning and, and Odell Beckham Jr. doing the dirty dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? This was an attempt to, 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 to humanize... NFL players put them in a put them in a situation where you can see their faces. Yeah, you can get a sense of their sense of humor, mm -hmm. um, and to tell fans because the NFL knows that the Super Bowl audience is exponentially bigger than any week in week out audience. We have sure. a bunch of new people. Let's try to keep them mm -hmm. by showing them how awesome our game is. Please, yeah. I call it. We call it. A lot of people call it. Please like my. Please like my sport. Please like my. Sport. Please like my sport. But you know who's into please like my sport? Like hockey Twitter is into please like my sport, and that's not a compliment. Right, because like huh. Canadians, it drives a lot of Canadians nuts that no one cares about hockey outside sure. of Canada. Yeah, and so please like that. my sport gets get up that. and running because every Canadians desperately and ho people like hockey hockey stakeholders desperately want people to like their sport. Yeah, but now the NFL is like merging into that territory, <laughs> and it's kind of sad to see. But it's what they have to do. But but again. If they're at the point where um, getting a job in this league depends on something other than merit, mm -hmm. uh, and, where, and where people who are worse get jobs before people who are better, mm -hmm. then you're going to have a tough time selling the idea that your league is the best one in the world. And it is the forum, the preeminent forum for the best athletes in the world, which is what the NFL has been able to do and been able to sell that idea for a long time. But situations like Kaepernick show you well maybe not maybe not all of these guys are the best because maybe it looks like it looks to me like here's a guy who's 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 good enough to have a, have a job there but you'd rather give a job to someone who's worse than this guy mm -hmm. because this guy staged a nonviolent, peaceful protest against racism yet you will take dodge's money for a commercial featuring Martin Luther King, who also stays in nonviolent, peaceful protests. So you tell me when it's okay and when it's not okay, except that Colin Kaepernick's protest wasn't something you could sell. Whereas Martin Luther King's work, yeah, 50 years later, you could strip it clean, sanitize it, um, strip it of context, slap it on a commercial, and use it to sell product. That was, I guess, that was we that was a strange, weird, it's a very good way to alienate fans, yeah. Like who we've had so in the past few years, a lot of these companies, whether it's Pepsi with Kylie Jenner yes. or or I, I can't remember, but there's been a bunch of these where you look at each other and go, who decided, forget that it got created, who signed off on this to say, yes, this is what we're going to give to the global NFL Super Bowl watching public. Yeah, I don't know how, um, I don't know how advertising agencies work on the inside. Um, what I do know is that the sermon they quoted from Martin Luther King mm -hmm. 
in the rest of this another part of another one minute stretch of that sermon is making the rounds around social media. Same sermon. Yeah. Where Martin Luther King rails against the ubiquity of marketing yes. and advertising. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Rails against the disingenuousness of marketing and advertising and how these marketers and advertisers play tricks on your mind to make you feel like you need a product that you don't need and get you to overspend and how counterproductive all of this is. Right? Um, so to to ignore that part of the speech, to clip another part of the speech out, yeah, is 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 even more shameful, even more ignorant. Because it's not like you didn't know; it's just you chose not to listen to that part because you wanted the part that seemed to suit your message. But again, and I don't know that anyone has been as as widely and willfully misinterpreted as Martin Luther King. Um, Hmm. But like Martin Luther King's dream was not that we drive great pickup trucks. Right? No. Yet here we go. But like, thankfully, um, you know, the backlash to that commercial outweighed the praise for it. But I don't know that that'll stop people next year, or the year after that, or the year after that. Yeah. That was that was really really strange. Um, so with with. With the NFL facing declining viewership, yes, um, you know, so Trump says. So there's two things I want to get to. Trump says it's because of this, uh, because of players kneeling. Trump is incorrect. Um, why is it? I know he's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people that go, "No, someone's kneeling, ain't watching the game." Why? Why are? Because yeah, first of all, to the extent that they even show anthems, they're at the very beginning of the game of any sport. I don't. Right. You know, that is the weird. Like Olympics, I can I can understand the yes. arguments. But even then, by the time they play the anthems, sometimes the medal ceremony in the Olympics is like hours after the event. You yeah, know? it is. It's like the next Feel day. You're free to tune out, right? <laughs> like football game anthems. Uh, it's at the very beginning of the game. So it has nothing to do with whether or not you watch the rest of the game. Yeah. And if, if that's really what it is, that says a lot more about your audience than it does about the product. Because what it says is, your audience will only watch these black people perform if they don't have to think about these black people as human beings. Because this is all anyone was protesting over. These were not anthem protests. They were no. protests against racism. Yeah. Um, and in another context, in a context that the NFL could market, they would just call it giving back to the community. Because that's one of the things the NFL loves to package and market and commodify and sell to you is the idea that their players like to give back to the community to make life make life better for the people in their community. Sure. When Colin Kaepernick says, I'm protesting to end racial profiling, police brutality, systemic racism, what is Colin Kaepernick doing besides using his clout as a football player mm -hmm. to make life better for people in his community? Yeah. That's exactly what he's doing. He's giving back to the community. Yeah. Striving to give back to the community, but not in a way the NFL can package and sell. No. Not in a way that puts the NFL first. Definitely so all, not. So all of a sudden, it's a problem. Yeah. Um, but again, that, but if, if this is how the fans feel, it tells you what the fans feel about these black players. Mm -hmm. they, what they don't want is to see these players as human beings. They yeah. just want to see them as machines that bash each other's brains in. Mm -hmm. And don't bug me about your concussions later. Um, you chose this life. Now get out here and entertain me. Especially TV fans, because TV fans aren't paying. Because I have this problem with boxing fans, too. Like, when guys... When a fight gets stopped, mm -hmm. 
or when a guy, like when a fighter quits because he's just been taking a beating or he gets hurt, and the fans say, well, you owe us more. You signed up for boxing. It's blood sport. <laughs> you owe us. Oh I'm my. like, well, why does this person owe it to you to go <laughs> die? He doesn't. You're, you're not even paying. You're just watching on TV. He doesn't owe you a thing. Yeah. Get out of here. So it's strange when, you know, it's, especially in, you watch boxing way more than I, I, I have ever. Um, but in MMA fights, yes, you know, if, if MMA fans are the worst, they're worse than boxing And they fans boo, and I'm thinking, really? Like, I don't get it. MMA fans are the worst because they're cheaper than boxing fans. So they want more gore, for less. more injuries, more risk to the athlete <laughs> for less. Because MMA fans, oh, they don't pay for anything. <laughs> uh, but to answer your question, the thing about football is several factors in, that explain yeah. declining viewership. One is the ubiquity of the product. I've said ubiquity twice, like in close order. <laughs> of the product. Like it used to be appointment viewing. Sunday, Sunday. Sundays at one. Yeah. Sundays at four. Yeah. And they added Monday. Cool. Sundays at one. Sundays at four. Mondays at nine. Then they added Sunday night. Okay. Sundays at one. Sundays at four. Uh, Sundays at eight. Mondays at nine. Cool. So now they got Thursday. Right. And now they're trying to. And this is why they have these games in London because now we can have Sunday morning at ten a.m. It's like we all live in California. <laughs> um. Which is cool, but there's only so much football you can watch. Hmm. Um, and so, like, scare, a little scarcity is a good thing. You you leave people wanting a little bit more, but the NFL never, never gives you a chance to do that. And at the same time that they've abandoned scarcity, just the number of ways to keep track of a game has exploded. So now, the NFL, there's, there's the 10 a.m. window, the 1, 1 p.m. window. There's the 4 p.m. window. There's the... 8 p.m. game where the two best teams are playing. So that's four football games on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But now because of Twitter and Google, I can keep track of these games without watching any of them. Yeah. So now my Sunday belongs to me again. What the NFL wants is for me parked in front of, was for me to park in front of my TV from 10 a.m. to watch the game from London. Yeah. All the way through to 11 p.m. That's nuts. For the Sunday night game, right? Yeah. But now because people have smartphones, they can just peek into the like they can keep track of the game via social media or via Google and then just peek in when they feel like it. Yeah. So all of that's going to push down TV ratings, not to mention the fact, again, quality, like the Thursday night games. This is something the NFL has forced on us. And broadcasters, for whatever reason, are still paying a lot of money for the Thursday night games. I can't remember what Fox paid for the next round of Thursday night games, but it's not cheap. Hmm. Um, But the Thursday night games are of low quality. Yeah. And even when they are... Even if the game itself is a good game, you know, players aren't comfortable playing. And even if they don't get hurt during that game, just the fact that you've had the two back-to-backs sets you up for injury later as opposed yeah. to having a defined, a more defined schedule with with, with adequate rest time. Mm-hmm. So now you have Richard Sermon with the, with, the, with the torn Achilles, other guys getting hurt on Thursday night or in the echo effect of a Thursday night game. Um you know, when your stars disappear and the overall quality of play goes down, again, it's it's tough to grow your league. It's tough to grow viewership. And guys can just Google and see what the scores are. All of these things are working against the NFL, and the NFL really needs to figure this out. Um, the same with online viewing. Like, Major League Baseball was super smart. They came up with MLB Advanced Media, mm-hmm. right? 
And now this was a company that non-baseball people would come to MLB and say, hey, can you help us stream these concerts? Can you help us build this app That's to right. stream my yeah. fights? Whatever it is. And they spun off, so they spun off um, BAM Tech yeah. to Disney. Disney bought it. And now Disney's going to use that for an, e- an ESPN over-the-top streaming service. Yeah. Right? So they've gotten... ESPN's gotten smart because they're like, people are cutting the cord, but they still want the sports content. Yeah. For a nominal fee, let's give it to them. Yep. That way, they can still get our content. We're still getting paid. Mm-hmm. Um, and the NFL still hasn't quite figured out how to do like They tried to do that here in Canada with the zone. Remember that when they, yeah, put, yeah, yeah, they yeah. put NFL Red Zone on the zone, the streaming service. Problem being that the streaming service keeps on breaking. They didn't it? spend money on technology. <laughs> yeah. Right? And the zone spent their money on like uh, a party at the at Lavelle or the Thompson Hotel or whatever it was, yeah. and like signing up all these social media influencers to tweet about the zone. Yeah. Um, but they did not put money into the technology that makes this thing work. Yeah. So these are the problems the NFL is running into much more so than guys taking a knee during the anthem. Because again, taking a knee during the anthem. You're just using your platform to try to give back to the community. There's nothing wrong with that. They just gave um, J.J. Watt man of the year because he raised money to help hurricane victims in Houston. He's giving back to his community. Yeah. Uh, Let's celebrate this guy. Colin Kaepernick is giving back to his community, and all of a sudden he can't get a job. It's crazy. Um, But Colin Kaepernick himself is not driving down ratings. No. But Vince McMahon Mm -hmm. (laughs) sees... Sees an opportunity here. Yeah. Now, now, you know, Vince McMahon, the businessman, I must believe, is different than the Vince McMahon that we see on Monday Night Raw. Um, he must be intelligent. This guy is, is has built his dad's business to a billion-dollar mm-hmm. entity. What does he see in this? One... I'm wondering if he sees a way to like make good on a separate second opportunity. If the XFL, as short-lived as it was, and in, in in as many ways as it failed, still did give us like uh, it opened the door to different ways to broadcast the game. Mm-hmm. So like that that end zone view for the kickoff return, like they did that. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering if he thinks, well, now that I've had 20 years, 18 years, whatever it is to see where I screwed up, I can do it right the second time. Um, and he has this, if you're, if you're led to like conspiracy theories and stuff, you wonder if like maybe he, cause his wife works for Donald Trump. Yeah. Vince McMahon's wife works for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon tried to knock off the NFL or go into business against the NFL, mm-hmm. as did Donald Trump. Yeah, you know, and they both failed. They both came at the NFL. They both failed. Uh, so I wonder if now that he thinks he has help in higher places, mm-hmm. can he make this thing work in top of the NFL once and for all? Um, now, I. I What doesn't make sense to me is the fact that he 
liquidate a hundred million dollars of WWE stock to go do this when he doesn't quite seem to have an idea of what it is he's of what his brand is, what he's selling. Yeah. Um now I guess like a hundred million dollars to him is like probably eighty bucks to us. <laughs> so isn't maybe it's not as big of a deal. Sure. But that news conference was it raised more questions than it answered. You remember the first XFL? It was an extension of the WWE brand. Yes. Right? We're going to be just like yeah, the wrestlers. wrestlers yeah, yeah. football. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be more violent. It's going to be rougher. It's going to be raunchier. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, except this time around, like we're in an era now where football fans are saying we're kind of turned off by the extreme violence. Um, so you can't sell that. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of football fans that say, oh, the extreme sexism. We're turned off. Yeah. You can't sell that either. So now no. Vince McMahon, what he seems to have done is just kind of taken inventory of everything that people have complained about regarding the NFL. Yeah. And without knowing how he'll do it, he's just, he has just said, well, I'll just do the opposite. Yeah. Um, games are too long? Okay, we'll have two-hour games. He doesn't know how he'll do that. Oh, you guys you guys don't like – fans don't like that uh, guys with criminal records can get in the NFL? You can't even have a DUI and get into our league. I guess who's gonna play? Yeah, well, that's not even the and, the and that's not even the point. Yeah, right. Like he hasn't defined in a positive way, in yeah. an affirmative way. This is what, what the league is gonna be. Yeah, he's just kind of he's just gone down the line with the NFL and and told people what this league isn't gonna be. Yeah, what is it gonna be? So we don't know what the actual brand is, what they're selling, and who their target audience is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be safer. Okay, but part of the appeal of football. Is the danger like people now? Because people have clued in the football is dangerous. Um, newsflash is dangerous, <laughs> but now they don't like they don't like to know how dangerous it is. So yeah. Okay, we'll make it safer. There are any number of ways to make it look safer without actually sure. making it safer. Yeah. But again, part of football's appeal is that it's dangerous. That's yeah. why people watch tackle football and not flag football. Fair. Because people didn't want the danger, then they would watch flag football. Yeah. And people just like to watch people running fast. Americans would watch track and field. Yeah. They like to see running fast with a football while other guys are trying to decapitate you. That's what people find exciting, <laughs> right? Um, and Vince hasn't really provided solid affirmative answers for anything. He's just said, uh, what, what, did he, what do you guys not like about the NFL? Well, we're going to be not that. Yeah. Give me your money. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how well any of this works. Plus, was, the, it, plus the fact that, again, like football – enrollment among youth in the u.s is going down so in five six years you know the number of players any of these leagues have to choose from might be Mm -hmm. smaller the nfl still has the biggest salaries they're still going to get first pick of the best players sure and people have americans have shown they'll watch a lot of college football but especially the highest level of college football Yeah, yeah they'll watch a lot of nfl but like i don't know how much Second and third rate pro football, you think you're going to get Americans to watch? Interesting. Um, sort of related to you know our discussion here about social issues and sports and stuff. Um, Faisal Kamisa from Sportsnet. Yes. Um, he tweeted out a while ago something to the effect of NBA players are more. Was it was it NBA players or just NBA? The NBA is more woke <clears throat> than the NFL. Um, and so when we see the NFL and the owners uh, collude but not collude, 
Mm-hmm. Um, but on the NBA side, we see, you know, again, rich owners sort of allow their maybe I don't know if allows the right word, but let me. Have use you it. seen any of the any Have you seen any NBA owners take on Donald Trump, or has it just been coaches? Coaches and players. Yes, exactly. Yeah, but there seems to be this allowance, right? Well, part of it too is that. Um, the NFL, the NBA, sorry, has a different, has a bit of a different fan base. Actually, okay. I shouldn't say that. Um, because when when we talk about NFL fans and what NFL fans want and don't want, we talk as if all NFL fans are white and conservative and male, and they're fair, not. Fair, yeah. Like the NFL is seventy percent black, has a huge African American constituency. Mm-hmm. Um. But much like the working class black voter in these in these Trump country stories, mm-hmm. black NFL fan just gets ignored. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas black NBA fan is just kind of taken for granted that this is a big part of the fan base. Um, so players and teams, it's not the NFL. <laughs> there are any number of guys in the NFL that feel the same way as the guys in the NBA do. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't face as many repercussions for expressing it because there's not that paralyzing fear that you're going to lose all your fans if you say something bad about Donald Trump mm-hmm. or if you say something bad about racism. Yeah. Um, look, because even before any of in the same, the same summer and fall, Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee. Mm-hmm. LeBron James was openly campaigning for Hillary Clinton. And yeah. No one, no one told him he couldn't. True. Um, and a lot of the anti-Trump stuff now, a lot of it has to do with how we in the mainstream media treat white people we perceive as perceptive and enlightened on race. It's very different from the way we treat black people who are perceptive and enlightened on race. So when a black person talks about racism, you're complaining. Racism is not real. It's mm. overrated. L- listen. Martin Luther King, bro. Civil rights movement. There is no more racism. Post-racial America had a black president. Yeah. But when Steve Kerr, this is no disrespect to Steve Kerr. This I is more how you're saying. This is more a critique of how people perceive Steve Popovich, Kerr. Popovich, same Popovich. thing, isn't it? When these guys make really enlightened and impassioned speeches against Donald Trump's bigotry or against racial profiling, yes. they're revered, they're elevated. That's so true. Right? Yeah. Like I've often toyed with like changing my Twitter avatar avatar to a white guy, either like from like from Shutterstock or like Daryl Hall or something, you know, <laughs> and tweeting the same things I do about yeah. race and just watching and how different what happens. White people perceive it. You are so perceptive. <laughs> Never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, this is no disrespect to 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 Steve Kerr. Yeah, or to Greg Popovich. Again, it's just people in the mainstream media the white people especially have to ask themselves why they react so differently mm-hmm. to these guys talking like that as opposed to a black athlete talking like that yeah um so that has a lot to do with it and you know and the nfl too has it has a sponsorship deal with the united states armed forces right and it part of what it markets part of what it prides itself part of its self-identity is this uh Patriotism, isn't it? Patrioti- performative patriotism is the phrase I use. Okay. And like this safe space for 
militarism, mm-hmm. law and order, right? Like we have they have flyovers of yes. military jets at the Super Bowl, even when the Super Bowl is played indoors. Why? Just because, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, one thing, one thing you can't get away with very much of in the military is dissent, dissenting opinions, true, that's disagreement. True. Yep. But the NFL has marketed it itself that way, and the sport of football too mm-hmm. is the one that more than any other sport pretends to be the military. Yeah. This is war. We have a ground attack. That's right. Air attack. How's our ground game? All of this stuff, right? And every yeah. time your team has a good secondary, like, yeah, man, this is a no-fly zone. Yeah. Fighter jets, we're going to come shoot you down. Interceptions, just like, <laughs> you know, in, in in aerial battle, right? Yeah. Um, and so because it pretends to be the military, it's like military light. Uh, one of the things you don't have a lot of in the military, as I said, is like dissent. True. And debating about stuff. Yeah. Right? Whereas the NFL, the N- NBA is much more like real life. Um, much looser rules around that kind of thing. True. Um, and again, it's also the perception. Well, the league, the NFL thinks that in pretending to be the military, they're giving all their fans what their fans want, which is just like order, order and chaos together, violence, hmm. conquest, stuff like this. So when I tune in for conquest, I don't want to take a detour to hear about rights, black rights, racial profiling, systemic inequality. I don't, want, I don't want to hear all that. I just want to see your team smash their team, conquer their territory. Uh, whereas the NBA, I don't know that anyone necessarily tunes into sports broadcast to hear that stuff. Uh, but there's this idea, there's this perception that NBA fans can at least tolerate that and see where Fair. someone's coming from and they're not going to throw their TV through a window Yeah. if someone asks uh, Popovich about Trump and Popovich goes off on Trump. Yeah, I hear you. So, you know, we, we talked about Vince McMahon starting his league. Are Mayweather and McGregor, are they going to start their own league? What's what's, <laughs> go, what's going on here? Nothing. Are we just seeing stuff? Listen. <laughs> Wait, now you you were the person, you have to admit. Pardon me? When, when, they, when they fought, I, I, I couldn't help are laughing. Are talking about their fight or are we talking about the, No, okay, the so two things. You know, they, they did fight. Yes. And now, you know, they're they're going back and forth on, on Instagram uh, about another fight upcoming. And then I said that. I loved your tweets about uh, you know Mayweather's at the football game with right. his NFL contract. He's riding a horse. You know? Well, here's the problem. In the like in the in the age of Google and social media, <laughs> we in the mainstream media, yeah, are just as susceptible, maybe more susceptible to rumors and tall tales and half truths than we've ever been. Yeah, because there's so much pressure just to publish all the time and to and to make stories from nothing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so mayweather does an instagram post where he walks into uh, an octa uh, cage an mma cage okay so he walked into the mma cage clearly he's trolling yeah but suddenly like you see that you see that uh aggregated and published on like sports center yeah and you see people like spinning news stories out and there's nothing yeah so the lead is that he writes the thing is that he is that he walks into the octagon you embed the video, and then, then it's just like uh, eight paragraphs of boilerplate. But you're trying to make it seem like he's actually going to fight someone in a mixed martial arts fight. Floyd Mayweather's 41 years old. Why is he going to learn a new who's, – who learns a new violent sport at 41 years old? Mm-hmm. Nobody does that unless they need the money, and he doesn't. He just made $300 million beating up on Conor McGregor. Yeah. So the second – and the, the second half of the commercial could not be less subtle. 
It was sorry, the second social media post from Floyd Mayweather could not be less subtle, where he walks in to the cage yeah. and there's the shorts and they get a close up of the shorts where it says Patty Power. And Mayweather says, Will I fight in MMA this year? What are the odds, Patty? What are the odds? Mm-hmm. Because PattyPower.com is a a, a online gambling site that's based in Ireland. Guys, that's all this is. Like yeah. Mayweather is doing commercials because Patty Power gives Mayweather a bunch of money. They sponsored him for his fight against McGregor. Okay. They give Mayweather all this money and this is what he does. That's it. He's not gonna go fight anyone. Yeah. In MMA. Why would he do guys? Floyd Mayweather is a boxer. Yeah. Who has a history of hand injuries from punching people. He's he has little tiny hands and little tiny feet. Yeah. Um, like you meet a lot of boxers, they have like if you meet Lennox Lewis, his hand is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, and even a lot of lower weight boxers, like proportionally, their hands are giant. Floyd Mayweather has little tiny hands. Yeah. So sometimes he punches people. Yeah. And his hands break. So he like in his boxing career, he had to switch to because the gloves have to be a certain weight, but That's right. just the way the weight is distributed or, or the material the glove is made of, so like really puffy gloves. Yeah. Which is why he had a hard time like knocking people out as he got older because yeah. he couldn't hit as hard because he had. These hand problems, you have to wear these super padded gloves. Yeah. So now why at 41 would he switch to a sport where you wear these little tiny gloves? And then all you're going to do is break. And he, it's not like he knows how to wrestle or grapple or break somebody's arm. What he knows how to do is punch. Yeah. So you tell me he's going to go punch people in the forehead with these little baby gloves so he can break <laughs> his hand again? He's not going to do that. He's 41. Okay. He has no reason to, guys. Yeah. So, But what he's doing yeah. is sucking you people in. He's good at generating <laughs> attention. Conor McGregor really hopes this happens because Conor McGregor wants to win because Conor McGregor, for as much as he talked and as much as the $30 million might have soothed him, still is very bruised because he told the world that he was going to beat up on Floyd Mayweather, that Floyd Mayweather is too small and old to beat him up. And Conor McGregor um, got his butt kicked by a small old man. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And so, but it's amazing because like, if the, remember the the Bono's commercials, Bono's baseball. Yes, Bono. yes. You can yes. make that commercial now. Yeah. Because the second you had the Bono hockey thing, some idiot sports writer would be like, "Oh my God, Bo Jackson's going to play hockey!" And you'd see all these stories about Bo Jackson is going to play hockey because you saw it on a commercial. Yeah. And people would take it seriously, and yeah. the stories would be off and running, and you wouldn't even be able to enjoy just like the joke or the fun. Yeah. Of any of it. <laughs> so this is where we are with May, 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 Mayweather and McGregor. Uh, it's not Pretend, happening. It's not going to happen. It's not happening. And, and the guy had 50 boxing fights. He won every one of them. Why is he going to go try a new sport so he can go lose? Yeah. Does not make any sense. None. Let's end it off with this. Um, you've been, and, and I haven't seen you talk about this. So I'm not sure if you're allowed to talk about it. But um, Ebony Magazine. Yes. You wrote an article for them. You didn't get paid. I did three articles for them. Three articles for yes. them. Yes. They owe me $4,500. Oh, so they haven't paid you yet. No, so I joined. So where, are, where are we with? Well, this? I joined a lawsuit because there was a bunch of people. Yeah. So it was up to eighty thousand dollars, and I and there's people that I know. Yeah. That Ebony owes them, and they just didn't get it. They didn't get around to joining the lawsuit. Yeah. So there's around eighty thousand dollars in this lawsuit. Okay. Um, probably twenty or so creatives. Yeah. And then there's just more people floating around that just never. Um. So I don't know how much of the the detail I'm allowed to fair enough discuss in public. I feel like uh, um, I feel like 
you know, you try to interview a cop. Fair enough. You know, oh, I can't <laughs> can't discuss it. The case is before the courts. Cases, yeah. The case it's in court before the courts. It's in court in Chicago. It's in court. Okay. Our lawyers and their lawyers are trying to work something out, but it's yeah, yeah they uh, they ran out of. Well, I'm not gonna. Oh. They ran out of money to pay writers. They have money to do other stuff. You look up, they're throwing Super Bowl parties and all this. Mm. They got money for something. Yeah. Just not to pay writers. They need to pay you guys. Yes. Yeah. And hope, hopefully that gets taken care of soon. Man, out in Ajax, I got bills to pay, man. <laughs> we got we to gotta surface the driveway. Yeah. Air conditioner, <laughs> all this stuff. Put more shutters in the house. There's like a trillion windows in this house. I need that money. That's American money, too. I hear you. I go a long way out here. Morgan, thanks so much for coming by, man. Man, anytime. Secret path 
the one that nobody knows And I'm moving fast On the path nobody knows I'm the stranger I am the stranger